And I am you And you are me It's just a crazy storm Hi, I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to Action Packed, the travel podcast that goes to the best places and meets the most interesting people. So let's go straight to the action. Today we're taking a stroll along an imposing but not over grandiose residential street that mysteriously claims the fourth most expensive property prices on the planet. In the global league table, that places it just behind London, Hong Kong and New York. The average price here for a four- or five-bedroom home on Panorama Road comes in at around £6 million. That's just under $8 million. Of course, there are more expensive Beverly Hills-type mansions to be found elsewhere, but the test is not size, but price per square foot or metre. Actually, if you like global statistics, and I do, this short stretch of wonderfully eclectic traditional and contemporary architecture ranks as the most expensive coastal road in the world. My first thought with this wave of wealth pounding the seashore nearby, someone might have come up with a more inspiring street name. Panorama Road really doesn't do much for me. So where are we today? Cape Cod? Monte Carlo? The Amalfi Coast? Malibu? Mm Mm-mm. We're in Sandbanks in sunny Dorset on the southwest coast of England, two-hour drive from London. Sandbanks, let me explain, is not so much a village as an 800-metre peninsula sticking out into the English Channel, overlooking the vast expanse of Poole Harbour, which, while we're on the subject of statistics, is one of the two largest natural harbours in the world. And the other's Sydney? Well, yes and no. Size-wise, they're pretty similar. However, so much land's been reclaimed for development in Sydney that it may now be the smaller of the two whereas pool surroundings are owned by the National Trust and further building is forbidden. But the real difference is that Pool Harbour is only three foot deep, apart from a single dredge channel. It's a haven for speedboats and jet skis rather than ocean-going vessels. So how did Sandbanks, which is literally a sandbank that marks the eastern end of the harbour, reach those sort of heights? Adrian Dunford, head of estate agent TaylorMade, and his mother before him have been selling property here for 30 years The story behind it was one of the large national newspapers were talking to some of the estate agents trying to work out where's the most expensive place in the world to live. And so they had London, they had New York, Hong Kong popped up. And when we were looking at the figures, we realised that actually, as a pound per square foot, we were selling property that competed with them. And we told the newspaper at the time, well, it's interesting, but we already sell property at that sort of level. And they just thought it would be a good article to write to put us in the mix with such large cities. And it just took off from there. And when when was that roughly? That would be, oh gosh, back in the sort of late 80s. Right. And it's um, gone on from then. Yes. And it up until then, the area was always considered to be almost Britain's best kept secret. So those people that lived here, those people that bought here, didn't really want the world to know that the place existed because they enjoyed the anonymity of being here. But also it was just a nice, quiet place for people to retreat outside of London. Part of the reason for the value is because we're we're waterlocked. We, you know, we can't extend or gain any more ground. So the properties that are here, that's it. There's actually only 30 detached houses on the beach. And 30, 30 and 30 detached houses on the water. So of the 1,100 units that are here, so that's a mixture of apartments and houses, that's all you've got. And at any one particular time, there's probably only ever maybe one on the market. So if you're a buyer looking to buy here and wanting 
beach access, water access, there's never going to be a lot to choose from. Um, and if this is where you want to be, then you will, you'll pay for that pleasure. The thing is, there's really not much to Sandbanks, apart from three hotels, an exclusive yacht club, a Rick Stein seafood restaurant and a Tesco Express supermarket. Along Banks Road, the first part of the spit, you get a choice of aspects. So you have a, if you like, a two-way view. So you can either step out onto the beach, onto the sort of sandy beaches, or step into the water of Paul Harbour. The disadvantage here is that the plots are narrow. Much the best property is located on Panorama Road at the end of the spit with its chain ferry across the entrance to the harbour. This takes you in just a few minutes to some unspoiled stretches of woodland and beach at Sudland and the little town of Sponage beyond. For nearly all the houses on Panorama Road, you don't have a sandy beach on your doorstep, but you can moor your boat on your own private jetty at the bottom of your landscape garden, which has plenty of room for your outdoor pool, unless you prefer to have one indoors. Actually, if you're investing £10 million, why not have both? From your own jetty, you can coast across the harbour to explore some of the nine islands. The largest of these is Brownsea, where... Lord Baden-Powell founded the Scout Movement and held its first camp back in 1907. The island is also home to a colony of rare red squirrels who live here in isolation from their marauding and aggressive grey cousins. So, I mean, who really cares about having your own doorstep sand? Well, no one did at all here until the early 19th century. Before that, this was just a stretch of deserted sand dunes of little value, and it took two airwave geniuses to put sandbanks on the world map. The first of these was Giulielmo Marconi, the Italian-born electrical engineer whose university credited with being the founder of radio. His offices and family home were at the Haven Hotel, right at the end of the spit by the chain ferry. It was from here that he carried out a raft of ship-to-shore telegraph experiments, and it was from Sandbanks itself that Marconi radio operators directed the rescue of passengers from the sinking Titanic in 1912. The second was John Lennon, who, back in 1965, bought a bungalow on Panorama Road for his aunt Mimi, who'd brought him up. Mimi was very critical of his musical ambition, and even after the Beatles were formed, she told him, The guitar's all right, John, but you'll never make a living out of it. Lennon phoned her every week until his death, and Mimi lived on at Sandbanks until she herself died in 1991. Aunt Mimi's uh, property, um, which we've sold a few times actually, is currently called Imagine. Um, so that's just a few doors away from the chain link ferry. So he bought that for his auntie. Um, she lived there. And there's some lovely photographs of John Lennon and his son and his auntie getting on the chain ferry. And what did he pay for that when he bought it? Well, gosh, probably tens of thousands. It's probably worth a bit more than that today. Well, it's currently a bid on the property at the moment at £8 million. And what's the average price for one of the ones on the beach? So the general rule is often buy square footage. So at the moment... We're probably selling property around twelve to thirteen hundred pounds a square foot, and that's often what's used when you're trying to compare yourself to other areas globally. Um, so, a small apartment on the beach or on the water will cost you probably around one and a half million to start, and they will go through to around four million. We've just sold a penthouse for four million, which is the most money paid for a penthouse outside of London. And the clientele, the people who buy these houses, they come from all over the world? Uh, no, the, the vast majority are going to, to be honest, will come out of London. Um, if you had to sort of make it as a proportion, I would say historically it was always probably two thirds were from London and 
a third probably from the Midlands in the same way that people retiring here probably go off to Spain because everyone wants to go somewhere warmer for their retirement. Those in the Midlands and particularly London will come here because it is that bit warmer. But nevertheless, it does seem strange that seaside you think of warm beaches and palm trees. Well, we have a few palm trees down here, of course, but not necessarily the warm, sunny weather. At the moment, it's wonderful. And we're just in for a, a heat wave weekend coming up. And last weekend was wonderful as well. But not always like that, is it? No, it's not always. But Dorset's reputably one of the sunniest counties in the UK. So we get more than our fair share. And I think a lot of people come here not necessarily because it's sunny. It's just there's an awful lot to do here. It's a very outdoor lifestyle. And whether you're here on the beaches or whether you're across the water to the Jurassic Coast or even back into the New Forest. So there's a lot to do, but all of it's often outside. So you're, you're probably not going to be somebody that's buying here driven by sun. And this year we're talking about staycation. I think the figures at the moment are 20 million people will take mm. a staycation in Britain this year. Does that mean that the property market goes up here because people are more interested in getting out of the big cities? So it's much busier here. I mean, July and August for us as an agent are two busy months, even in an ordinary market. It's three times busier than it would be ordinarily. And the three times really are to do with COVID, is to do with three years of delay on Brexit. Um, So people just sat on their hands waiting for Brexit decision to be made. So that sort of lull in that market for the last three years, COVID's exacerbated that. So it it is much busier than we would ordinarily expect to see. We were on for a busy year anyway, but it's uh, COVID and people staying local has made it much busier. The vast majority of those buying currently are London-based, whether that's a fear of a second lockdown or, again, just buying because it's just easier to get down here on the M3. So do a lot of people come here as a second home? Yes, 80% of Sandbanks is is second home. And as you start to, the further you drift away from the water, you see that proportion gradually change. Um, So certainly in Sandbanks Peninsula, it would be 80% second home. And as a half a mile up the road, it probably would be 50-50. What's it like here on a November's day? It's lovely. (laughs) Because you get the area back. Bournemouth and Poole's accommodation is about half a million people. In the summer, without COVID, we double to a million. Um, So it is a much busier area. And it's great because you gain a buzz. And with kids being off school ordinarily during July and August, you know, it's a much busier time. But for those, that six to eight week window, outside of that, it's quiet. And actually the locals that are here all year round, you enjoy it for that reason. Well, you can park your car, you can get to the shops, all sorts of yes, things like that. Things like that, but also it's just, I wouldn't even say you get the area back. It's just you, uh, as a local person, you you get all the pleasure of what people pay an awful lot of money to come down and visit. And it's here on your doorstep at no cost. And what things can people do immediately around Sandbanks? Is it the beach mainly? It's an interesting one because a lot of people that buy here don't then go off and buy a paddleboard and do windsurfing and and jet around the harbour on a jet ski. An awful lot actually just enjoy sitting and watching people do their thing on the water or on the beach. You've got to understand that the harbour's nearly 100 miles round and the average depth of the harbour is only three feet. It's nearly all sand. So you can mess around in the harbour in a very safe environment. What about hotels? Uh, So hotels at the moment... We have the Haven, the Sandbanks and the Harbour Heights. Um, All three are owned by a family locally. Um, But there are plans 
afoot for that to change. Um, there's a fantastic new hotel that will go in where the Sandbanks Hotel is, and the proposal is for the Haven to become residential and the Harbour Heights to be uh, redesigned as a sort of environmentally friendly sort of green boutique hotel. Although the area is expensive, we don't have a £1,000 a night hotel. If anyone out there listening to us who'd like to buy a house, what do they do? How do they get in touch with you? So contact me directly, Adrian Dunford, or certainly go to our website, which is tailormadeestateagency.co.uk. Now, if you do fancy owning your own house here and you feel that £8 million for John Lennon's newly revamped Imagine is beyond your means... Don't despair. Neighbouring Waterweeds is on the market for just £7 million. That's a little bit more than $9 million. For this, you get four bedrooms, a swimming pool, helicopter pad, summer house, parking for 12 cars, and of course, your own jetty. Hardly surprisingly, even $7 million seemed a little bit beyond our personal pocket. So we went to explore some other seaside properties just along the coast at the former fishing village of Muddyford near Christchurch. Now, the beauty of these is that they're actually on the beach in a wonderfully secluded position. During the summer months, there's no access by car. You can reach them by bike along the winter roadway, on foot from the beauty spot of Hengistbury Head, or via a 30-minute scenic walk through a wooded nature preserve with lily ponds. Or you can park your car at Muddiford Quay and take a three-minute ferry ride straight to the colourful buildings. One of them recently changed hands for around... £330,000, which is the price you'd expect to pay for a two- or three-bedroom detached house around Christchurch. The amount shocked everyone, locally and nationally. Why? Because these are just beach huts. We asked Christchurch estate agent Andy Dennison what the buyers got for their money. Well, you get um, you get a hut. How big is the hut? It has an upstairs, a mezzanine floor, we call it. They can sleep six, or you can cram seven in on a good day. The basic structure, they do vary in size. This particular one, I think, was around 18 by 12. Feet, is that? Um, feet, yes. And, and, of course, you've got to pay your ground rent on the sand that you occupy. So it's not a freehold. You have the ownership of the hut, but then you have to have a license to park it on the pitch that it's on really and what does that cost uh again that's that varies but the, the average is around two and a half to three thousand pound a year that's quite a lot isn't it to the, yeah yeah i mean some people rent their huts out to cover that cost and then obviously enjoy the rest of it in the summertime and it has electricity and water running water that's sort of no thing. not at all <laughs> electricity is uh, via a car battery or, or um, however they operate the 12 volt systems uh, solar panels um, no running water you you fill up your water tank and you have a small 12 volt pump like you do in a motorhome really or a caravan and uh, no loo well some have put toilets in them but obviously not plugged into the mains your um, your toilet facility is again like a camping uh, where you have a cassette facility and then you have a um, a waste dis- uh, sort of disposed chemical disposal outlet. Toilet blocks at the beach. There are showers. Yeah, yeah. There is a shower, a residence shower, and you do have a key. So obviously the public can't use this particular facility. So the residents have it for themselves. Now you're the king of the beach huts around here. You've been doing this for how many years? Um, state agency for about 35, practicing in Christchurch and selling beach huts around 22 years now. And what did they cost when you first arrived here? Well, we didn't see many for sale when, I, when we first opened. There was a couple of changing hands privately. It wasn't really much of a market going on, but a few years into it, and then, yeah, they started to come onto our books. And I think 
from memory, one of the first ones was around 40,000 or something like that. And they don't change hands very often. So we've got nothing at the moment for sale down there. We're lucky if we see sort of five or six huts a year pass hands. There are private transactions that take place, your family through family, doing the transfers themselves. I think it's the, the, the uniqueness of, of, of where you are, and you can stay in them from April to October. You can sleep in that period. I know many of families that spend the whole of their August holidays there and commute to work, get up in the morning, take take their little boat up the river and work in the town and and then just spend the whole time down there. I know some families that spend six weeks down there and rent their house out during that period. So are you surprised by just how high the prices are? Well, I got asked that question when we hit 100,000 and uh, it was staggering then, but then somebody said, do you reckon there'll ever be half a million? And probably one day. Who knows? One day quite soon at this rate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've certainly got some serious buyers at the moment. I mean, literally a phone call away, which in our game is never a good thing because people think they've undersold if it sells so quickly. Um, but um, certainly I've got some serious buyers that will pay serious money for it. And do some people rent them out? They do, yes. We don't get involved in that. But the way that happens is they normally put a um, something on the window, um, contact the owner direct. And I think you can find it online. There's various beach huts. Do you know what sort of thing you pay for a week's rental? I've heard between £800 and £1,200 a week, depending on the size of the hut and time of year, uh, those sort of figures. So, of course, you only need to do four or five weeks a year and you've covered your annual licence fee and and then the rest is yours, really. So do some people keep their boats there as well? Yes, they do, yes. You've got a small dinghy park down there where people keep sort of little boats with engines or their sailboats. I think it's around about 10 or £20 a year to the council to park your boat on the beach and chain it there. Of course, a lot of people have got kayaks and paddle boards and there's a lot of boat owners, so they will bring their boats down to the harbour and, and anchor up in the harbour. On our website, we've got a dedicated section to the beach hut. So if you wanted to have a look, it's uh, denisons.com. D-E-N-I-S-O-N-S dot com. So please, which one for you? £8 million pounds at Sandbanks or 330000 on the beach at Muddyford? I think I'd go for one of the really amazing houses um, at Sandbanks. But it would have to have a swimming pool. And definitely at the end of the garden, I'd want the beach to be there because that's what you're paying for, I think. But of course, I don't have the money for that anyway. How about you, Peter? Well, I really like Sandbanks. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful area. Did you know that you can buy 20 different marks of champagne in the local Tesco's Express? That must be a Tesco's record. And they certainly know their clientele. My, my one problem there would be that the houses on Banks Road are a little on the small side for me. I mean, where would I put the bodyguard and the nanny? But no, I think probably I'd, I'd settle for the far end of the road there, Panorama Road, where you get a lot more bang for your bucks. How about the beach huts? Yeah, the beach huts is uh, definitely a possibility. Although you're meant to have a sort of camping experience. It is one up on, it's glamping really, isn't it? Yeah, I've never really been a great camper, but it does have a really nice beach bar. Yeah, and they take dogs too, which is good. That's hugely important. That's a good point to mention that you can actually take the dogs on the beach at Muddyford, which is kind of a rarity in the south of England in the summer. Yeah, no, I think of the two, I'd probably settle for sandbanks. But then, like you, there's a certain bit of a cash flow problem here. Yeah, or or actually, ideally, I'd have both. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, do please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com, or subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, or another of the many platforms that we're on. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with at least one other person. 
And I am you And you are me It's just a crazy storm